This Monday on TNT, Legends returns for a thrilling new season. Sean Bean stars as Martin Odom, an undercover agent on the run, hunted by the FBI for a crime he doesn't remember committing. Follow him across Europe as he digs up clues from his past and uncovers his true identity. New episodes, Mondays at 10, 9 central on TNT. Hi, I'm Elaine Sheldon. And I'm Sarah Ginsberg. And we're the hosts of She Does, a series of audio documentaries that are part biography, part conversation, and completely about women working in media. Every other week, we ask writers, filmmakers, photographers, technologists, among many other creative outlets, what makes them tick. We get personal, because realizing the successful person sitting in front of you was once out of ideas or completely lost. You know, the moments they leave out of their bio can be just what you need to lift you up and out of a creative crisis. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, what have you. The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers. The following podcast contains explicit language. And welcome to the Vulture TV Podcast. On this week's episode, are we TV mythologied out? We'll talk a little bit about AMC's new show, Into the Badlands. We'll have an interview with director Lexi Alexander and a listener call. If you have a question you want to ask on the Vulture TV Podcast, leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673. That's 646-504-7673. To start, let's talk a little bit about AMC's new sprawling martial arts drama, Into the Badlands, which premiered last week. Matt, do you love oh my it? God. Are you so in love? Can you barely contain yourself? I'm a sucker for halfway decent action, but this doesn't have <laughs> halfway decent action for the most part. I just was so disappointed by this show, I can't even tell you. Like, I, when I say that this is the next Walking Dead, you know that's not a compliment coming from me. <laughs> But it's got that AMC thing. Like, what was that horrible cop show that they did? Uh, Low Winter Sun. Low Winter Sun. So, yeah, it's in that Low Winter Sun sort of mode where they've taken a B-movie concept, which is this post-apocalyptic world of sword-twirling, you know, assassins and warlords who live on plantations and raise orphan children to be warriors and fight each other. And there's a mythology involving the... You know, the land beyond the Badlands, and there's a guy who might be the one, like a Neo or a Luke Skywalker sort of figure, and blah, 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 blah. And I just started getting drowsy just 10 minutes into it. It was not good. It reminded me so, so much of the parody Twitter account Dystopian YA, which is just always like, oh, you know, like I remembered from the before time and all of this sort of schlocky... Yes. um, you know, like, as the master always says, blah, 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 like, insert some, like, horrible uh, fascist idea here. You know, yes, it hit all of those very expected sort of ideas and or I guess lack of ideas. Uh, yeah. And then for me, the production value was just like right at that Hercules Xena level. <laughs> like, not, I thought it looked a little better than that, but not but not by not much. much. Yeah. It's just like, oh, let me guess. We're going to. It just, I don't know. I found it so joyless. Joyless is a great word for it because it has enthusiasm, but it doesn't have joy. And that's what I really look for, like that sense of elation that you get when you're watching a really good action movie. Like, And for me, a really good action movie, a really good action series is one that has a point of view. Like it has a personality. There's many different ways to make an action film as there are to make a musical or a romance or anything else. But 
there's a lot of action that feels kind of generic. Like, and I harp on this a lot on this podcast, but there's a difference between direction and coverage. And direction is where there seems to have been a lot of thought and a lot of personality put into where they place the camera, when they cut, and, you know, whether they have music or not, what kind of noises they use, and what is the general tone of it. And I didn't get that here. I didn't, and, and I'm being maybe a little extra hard on it because I've only recently been on a run of uh, watching a lot of action films. Recently, I watched Mad Max Fury Road a couple of times. I watched John Wick, and for nostalgia, I put in Commando, which is not going to win any prizes for depth, <laughs> but it's a good action movie. And all of those things have, they really pop, like the Warriors, like they pop. And this just feels like very assembly line. I also think the sort of mission statement of an action-oriented television show is inherently a little different than the mission statement of an action-oriented film because we know we're going to be spending a lot of time with these characters and we want something that's going to sustain drama and intrigue and character depth over 13 hours at least, you know, if we're going to do a sort of full cable season versus, say, 100 minutes where sometimes I think in action movies, character shorthand can be much more excusable as long as we make good use of that shortcut. Yes. Um, We know we only have so much time to get through story, whereas on a show like this, you know, I want to know that I'm going to get so much story because otherwise I can just you know, watch YouTube tutorials about sword fighting. Like, I don't... <laughs> right? Like, and I think, especially right now, when we think about how many shows in this sort of Game of Thrones shadow have just so much sword noise. Well, um, and there's actually... It's funny, you mentioned Game of Thrones. In fact, I, I ended my review with what I thought was a fairly damning quote, which is, <laughs> there was a, a piece in Vanity Fair uh, that was profiling the star and executive producer of this show, Daniel Wu. Unfortunately, a lot of film and television coverage, it sort of quotes the business deal as if it were part of the art. And it says, um, it was Wu in his capacity as executive producer who helped sell the show to an international distributor and ensure Into the Badlands would air in Asia at the same time it debuted in the States. But of course, it isn't just the lucrative Asian market that Wu and AMC are hoping to capture. The show, with its intricate mythology, memorable costumes, and specialized vocabulary, seems tailor-made for the Game of Thrones and Walking Dead-loving Comic-Con crowd. And there you have it. Yeah. It's such a cliche to say they shot the memo, but they actually did shoot the memo here. <laughs> yeah. I just found it so, I don't know, impenetrable. Kind of, like, not that it was confusing, but it was just like, why bother? Like, I think especially when you Impermeable, want... I almost thought you were going to say, but that's, you know, kind, you know it, it right, almost that... sort of different, but kind yeah. of better in a way, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm somebody who likes a good mythology for a show, and I like thinking that the people creating the show have thought a lot about what the world entails and the psychological infrastructure our characters are operating with, how they see the world, how they see what a lifespan looks like, if they think there's an enduring self after death, if they think that there's that people are primarily good, that people are primarily driven by greed, whatever it is that, that sort of shape and define how characters operate. And that isn't only in fantasy stories. That also is, I think, an important way to describe characters in more traditional scenarios. Yeah. But even watching the first episode of this, I was just like, I don't have this in me. Well, the, really, one of the great distinguishing features for me of, of science fiction and fantasy that's really top shelf is they seem to have thought about the day-to-day implications of the world they've created. Like, if you actually lived in this world, what would you need to know yeah. in order to function? And the, and the Mad Max movies are such a great example of that, and particularly in this most recent one where they're in a high-speed chase through the desert. Something goes wrong with the engine of the truck, and somebody in the cab of the truck says, we got a problem, you got to go check, take care of that. And, and Max, like, climbs out on the hood and starts working on the truck. And they're going 55 miles an hour, and he acts like it's no big deal. And these extraordinary things are happening 
people are doing things that would be the centerpiece of a stunt sequence in another movie, and they're tossing them. It's like they're just changing a light bulb, or they're taking out <laughs> the garbage, and that helps sell the believability. And the Star Wars, the, the, not all of them, but some, the first batch of Star Wars movies had that kind of quality, too, where the spaceships looked dirty. They looked old. You know, the Millennium Falcon didn't always start right away, and Han Solo that had to hunk kick of it. Junk? Yeah. yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> it was the sense that this world had been around long before we started watching it, which is defiantly not the case here, as evidenced by, you know, these beautiful leather Western-style dusters that people are wearing that look like they came straight from the costume department. Everything's immaculate. They're not worn and torn. You would think they would be... There would be patches. There would be... Even if they had pride in their appearance, you should be able to see where they were sewn. Everybody seems like they just had their eyebrows done or they just... <laughs> you know, like, post-apocalypse, you you really shouldn't have had your eyebrows done. Yeah, they were... There's a scene where one of our characters is, like, fondling a set of coins, and they were the most, like, pristine, fresh-off-the-mint coins I've, it's like, <laughs> I have pennies in my wallet that are like way more degraded than that yes like this is these are not like precious artifacts it was it just struck me as sort of I don't know I guess it all felt very video gaming to me you know it does feel very video and I'm, I'm you know yeah. that's not against video games necessarily I do think that the aesthetics of video games have obviously grown with leaps and bounds but there is still an occasional or maybe I'm thinking of sort of like early 2000s mid 2000s video games where it was very close but not quite. Well, I would also say that you know as far as the aesthetics of video games, specifically action video games go, I have noticed and I've absorbed I don't play them myself, but I live, you know, in a house with an 11-year-old boy, so I <laughs> I get a lot of secondhand exposure to the latest <laughs> games and I've noticed that the that the visual vocabulary of a lot of the really supposedly top shelf games is based not on the best of action cinema, which is cinema that has a personality, but on the kind of second-hand mm-hmm. action cinema. It's like crane shot here. You know, let's pull up to a you know God's-eye view to show you the size of the army and then zoom back down again for the karate fight. And it's like it's this kind of thing that's out of an action film toolkit, and I don't like that. I don't want to feel like we're ordering off of the, a menu at, you know, frickin' Burger King here, <laughs> like like how we shoot an action scene. Let's find a really original way to shoot it, like the way that somebody like Michelle McLaren would shoot action on Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. or the way that somebody like James Cameron, uh, the, the innovations that he came up with in shooting action are still being used today. They've become part of the cliched toolkit, like the way that he would when he was shooting actors fighting in front of a, a green screen or rear projected backdrop, he would shoot it with a handheld camera and he would actually be out of camera range jostling the camera person so that the shots didn't look too smooth. Like when they got to take three or four or five and they knew what was going to happen, he w- he still wanted them to seem like they didn't know what was going to happen. And all of that stuff registers subliminally. And I- 